Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. discussion on the Amazons and the women of Crete. So then the Trojans are very important because they also were founded. Troy was founded originally in 3000 BC. So Troy was supposedly founded by a queen, Marina. And she, uh, the Iliad says her tomb is somewhere near Troy. She was considered to be the ancestress of the royal line of Troy. So wow. Troy, Troy is fabulously interesting. I mean, there's so much gold and all that that Schliemann found, you know, and put on his wife. Have you seen those pictures? Yeah. Those wonderful yeah. headdresses and things that she wore. Wow. Uh, and also the uh, so, Amazons sided with them. They waited for their Amazons to show up and support That's them. right. Right. But that, of course, was <coughs> at the end in the Trojan War. That was Penthesilea, the Amazon right. queen who came from, apparently from Thrace, from Bulgaria. But, uh, but also I have read now and then that they think she might have come from Africa. And that was interesting to me because I read this whole thing about a queen marina bringing her female army, her platoons or whatever, uh, and leading her forces through Egypt, Arabia, Syria, and Asia Minor to the islands of the Aegean Sea, in other words, Crete. Among, so, and they come from Libya, right? That come from the north shore of Libya well, in their route. It, it didn't say, but yes, I would think so. But that's okay. uh, that was not in the story. Uh, this is a this is a book from the 1990s. Amazons of Black Sparta, the women warriors of Dahomey. Oh, the Dahomey, yeah. yeah. the Dahomey, yeah. So well, he, and let's not forget that um, Carthage, where Queen Dido reigned for so many years, was also on the African continent. Yes. Yeah, it was, I believe, actually near where Libya. I mean, I, it's funny because that, if that is the case, and I'll have to check and people listening will be able to determine, I think Carthage was in that location. It's um, Carthage near Tunisia, yeah. I don't know if Penthesilea was one of them, but Marina apparently was. And and then Queen Marina is the ancestress of the royal line of Troy. Are they the same? We might try to figure that out. Um, Isn't she also the founder of the the capital on Lemnos? Say that again. Marina was also one of the founders, I believe, the founder of the capital on Lemnos. Oh, is that true? I've forgotten. Yeah, I believe so. Well, it's probably the same person then. (laughs) She got uh, around. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And she had 30,000 in her army, you know. So, I mean, it was a big deal. Wow. Now, uh, this guy that I like so much, the Marxist, Emmanuel Cantor, he, he says, finally, his conclusion, the Amazons then symbolize women's desire for freedom. Mm-hmm. I think that would be like our subtitle. 
Women's desire for freedom, yes. And also I was thinking, I didn't go into this much today, but I was thinking about the war goddesses that show up in the third millennium. You know, before that, there were just uh, goddesses, uh, different kinds of goddesses in the figurines and the paintings and such. Some seem like uh, fertility kind of goddesses, you know, and some seem more like funerary goddesses. Uh, But uh, the first time we see war goddesses is in the third millennium. Hmm. So the third millennium is really... Which goddesses are those, Vicky? Which ones do we see first? Oh, I mean, all of them turn into like Ishtar and Astarte and, uh, you know... uh, uh, Sekhmet in Egypt. Mm, right, right, yeah. Yeah, lots of them. I, I, I have to make a list, but uh, plenty of war goddesses. And they often kind of double as life and death goddesses, you know, as the goddess has actually always been perceived as life, death, and, and regeneration. But, um, but in this case, the war thing, you know, that just didn't exist before the third millennium, even in even when the Indo-Europeans were raging into Europe and ruining everything, I think they it wasn't really it wasn't a war, you know the the old goddess cultures, the goddess civilization was uh, helpless against that kind of invasion because they were not warlike at all. Right. Nobody was before that. Right. So we have now, we're talking about Crete. So we have Crete, and in our timeline, they developed this sort of advanced matriarchal civilization, considered the first advanced Western civilization is on Crete. Yeah, that's very interesting since it's the end (laughs) of that civilization. (laughs) So what do we make of that? I mean, is that, was that advancement, a development in the face of these incursions? Were the incursions happening by that point? Because do you have that, advancement alongside the development or the presence of now these Amazons? Oh, no, it's absolutely goes back to the beginning of the farming cultures. They were exquisite, sophisticated cultures. Nobody can get with that, you know, because we just assume in the present uh, Western culture that everybody who came before was more primitive than we are. Right. But that's only an assumption. That's a false assumption. The the art, for instance, from uh, old Europe has been critiqued by art historians. Uh, the one I'm thinking of right now is uh, a man named Gideon, uh, who wrote a book called The Beginnings of Art uh, in the Bollingen, Bollingen uh, collection, I think from maybe the 50s or 60s. And he said, just straight ahead, that the art from the Neolithic in old Europe was the most beautiful art ever made. Wow. And it's never been matched. Wow. And, and, and the whole culture was like that. That's the thing that's so regrettable about the way that Maria Gimbutas was dismissed by the archaeological establishment in Britain and the United States. Uh, the, the Eastern European uh, archaeologists love her, you know, and totally agree 
with yeah. her material. It's what they see as well. But but uh, England and the and America are kind of bonded together in this male vision, you know, that just can't believe that that could be true. The I think the, what's funny about that is at the root of so much in English history and culture is this really powerful female influence. It almost feels like a fear of the being revealed for what the truth is that underneath all the big posturing is a history of some really strong matriarchal lineages. Absolutely. And I always say when they talk about Greece as the, I'm sorry, I've tried to just said yes to me. That was great. (laughs) Yeah. I always feel like it's important that we say when someone's talking about Greece as the flowering of Western civilization, that we say over the dead bodies of who came before those those cultures were destroyed and crete was probably the last in that sense and not the first but the last and even even so uh the as as kim buddhist pointed out the matrilineal traditions and so on lasted a long time in crete another thousand years at least and the whole priestess tradition in classical Greece, you know, there, there's a book that came out a few years ago called Priestess that was all about uh, how the women were still performing the religious uh, acts and rituals and that they were very important in their communities, even though we know that Athenian women, for the most part, were kind of locked up and um, locked out, you know, of culture. So anyway, well, I was, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, looking at the um, the history of Linear A, that uh, that the language that um, is associated with Crete for thousands of years, that that was the the latest place in history that it appeared. Yes, on Crete, right. and uh, a, a linguist named Harold Harmon has uh, put together incredible evidence suggesting the flow of that language, the flow of language from old Europe, from Anatolia and old Europe into Crete and back to the mainland um, and maybe into Malta. I'll have to read it again. Uh, But anyway, definitely showing that the linear A was a remnant of the old script and language of old Europe. Very exciting work. Yeah. yeah if, if we could only get more work done on that language and see what we can find from it. I wanted to also ask you, again, to go back to the art, is there any connection between those Venus figurines that start to appear in Europe around, you know, several millennia ago and this flowering of this matriarchal? Or are they not Related. They are they are related absolutely. The um, you're talking now about what's called the Paleolithic period, the Upper Paleolithic period, from about forty thousand to twenty thousand or something like that. And during that time is when uh, the majority of those so-called Venus figures were created, or and uh, and archaeologists have found them uh, in a place called. Uh, Malta, M-A apostrophe A-L-T-A, not the island, but a Paleolithic site in Russia. And they 
and they and so there are many uh, or several found in Russia, and then uh, many found in uh, France and Italy and Spain. Oh, and Germany. So what do we make? Yeah, Venus of Ullendorf. What do we yeah. make of this? What What is it that you make of this from the standpoint of predominantly these are female figures, correct? Absolutely, absolutely, and they're very. Uh, impersonal or depersonalized in the sense of uh, mostly they don't have faces. I think they represent the earth. And I think they represent what uh, um, Alexander Marshak put beautifully in his book, Roots of Civilization. He says that he thinks all of these uh, matrix figures are part of what he calls a storied tradition that that lasted, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, and that people uh, told and retold uh, like an oral tradition, obviously. And and he said that that whole uh, tradition, that whole story, was based on female periodicity. Because he's the scientist who did the microscopic research that showed that the many um, lunar menstrual calendars mm. carved on, you know, eagle bones and things like that during the Paleolithic period, they've lasted because they don't degrade like other natural uh, elements do. And so he actually set himself the task of proving that they were notational devices. They were time factored and that women were keeping, he doesn't say women, actually, he says a shaman and he even uses the pronoun he, <laughs> but I think it's just, you know, a slight oversight. Um, <laughs> clearly women were keeping track of the menstrual cycle and it would have been the menstrual cycle, not just of an individual woman, but almost certainly the whole group. Right. Because women would have menstruated together. So, um, so he's he's wonderful. Roots of civilization. Okay. Fascinating. So coming back to Crete and coming back to the Amazons, where what happens? How do we get from Crete to the classical notion of what the Amazons are like? We know it's a resistance movement, obviously, that starts. Where's our kind of connection to the classical notion of the Amazons that the Greeks encounter? Well, you remember that in Greece, they talk about a dark age. Yes, well, they call it the dark ages, you know, because I guess, I don't know why, because there aren't any generals <laughs> that, they're, that they're seeing during that period. But there's a period of time where they're uh, not really, uh, they don't know what happened in, in Greece. And about 8th century, you know, is when Homer shows up and right. starts writing about what happened way back in, in the 1200s. And that's the, the fall of Troy and the material about Penthesilea. So there's a period of time where we don't have anything, and then we have Homer. And then we have all the other uh, classical uh, historians from Greece, <clears throat> and then even Rome, telling us some of these stories. So that's the written material. And, and during that time, during the time, really, I think, uh, in that so-called dark age, I think that's when the alphabet was actually codified. 
and put in place. It, hmm. There are connections between Crete and Syria and uh, Cyprus that have to do with the establishment of our alphabet. Right. And it, and it took place sometime during that period. And the Venetians then, are tied to that, right? The Venetians have some involvement with that. Yeah, it could be. I don't, I don't okay. know. <laughs> could be. So we have that dark age and there we, we come down where there is not much being given to us in terms of Greek information or Greek records about that. But the, and the Cretan, of course, that civilization now has collapsed at that point. So that vacuum, you see like Amazons arising, this kind of this band of warrior women that the Greeks know of. Well, they would have been there obviously already because at the Trojan War, they're there. Yeah. And before that, I mean, it sounds like there were huge groups of women warriors, according to that story about uh, Marina. But, But what we start to see in the classical period is images, massive amount of images of Amazons fighting Greeks. It was the main theme. It, they, they have more images of Amazons, the classical Greeks, than any other uh, topic. Um, and and the, the legends or the stories or the historians tell us that uh, the Amazons sacked the Acropolis. This was pretty late. I don't know the date. I'm sorry I don't have that. They are said to have sacked the Acropolis and... They held it for seven months. And this was maybe, you know, the fifth century or something like that. Yeah, uh, that's the Amazonomache, I believe, is what the what they called it in the the Greek realm. The, they uh, called it what? The Amazonomache, and I might yeah. not be pronouncing it exactly right, but that's that's the, the phrase for it. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like they're, because of the way, and, and Dawn, you had said this on the last episode of, just the abundance of images of Amazons, something may very well have happened. Some cataclysmic event in the eyes of Greek men, this, this just horror of a bunch of women taking them on. Something may have happened because it just, like you say, there's this abundance of events and a sacking of Athens would be. They would have have come from a distance. You know, that's the story that they came from a distance and they entered uh, Athens and they sacked the Acropolis, which is a really big deal. And then other, uh, you know, archaeologists and historians try to kind of brush it off and they say, oh, yeah, it's mixed up with the Persian Wars. Persian Wars were like in the fifth fifth century, I think. And the Persians. I guess I don't that. want to rant, but it just drives me nuts. It's like the Greeks are just lauded for their brilliance at development of logic and philosophy and mathematics, for their ability to create these historical records and narratives, for being a sober, advanced culture, except when they mention women having any power. Then suddenly these guys just lose their wigs and they can't be trusted to say anything. It's all... <laughs> Just, you know, they're just gone nuts. So it's interesting. And, and also, uh, you know, the time that Herodotus was writing, the 5th century BCE, um, that's the period of time when the Amazons that are, the women who are called Amazons in the burials uh, around the Black Sea, near the Black Sea in uh, 
you know, I was talking about uh, my trip up the Volga with Janine Davis Kimball, and we went to all these different museums and saw the remains of Amazon burials. And she also dug in a place called Pekrovka, which was uh, a site right on the boundary of Russia near Kazakhstan. And and they and she and a Russian archaeologist uh, dug up lots of Amazons, and that's where her main conclusions were drawn from that she wrote about in her book Warrior Women. Another great book, by the way, and Janine was a marvelous soul. I've met her, and I know, of course, obviously you knew you knew her. Yeah, great book, great place for people to start to look at the history of Warrior Women, the reality and the archaeology of them. Yeah, that was it, it. She did really good work. She did amazing work. And that that trip for me was just uh, the beginning of really uh, starting to study the ways in which the women all the way across Afro-Eurasia from, from, from the Mediterranean area all the way to China and India and Tibet, there's a connection with the women culturally, in a sense, even though they are from different cultures and over time periods that vary, <clears throat> they were practicing the same religion, and they were the they were the leadership in that religious process and all of those shamanistic kinds of ceremonies and rituals that were performed. They were very much the same. The kinds of uh, artifacts and relics that they find, you know, all the way across Central Asia. Um, it's, it's a lot the same. The women were buried with mirrors. They were buried with shells. They were sometimes quite often buried with, or, or one would be buried with a ladle. Uh, and Janine thought that was had something to do with their magical drink, the nomadic people who make kumis from mare's milk. Mm. You know, so these different shamanic roles that women played in in the old civilizations they continued they continued to play those roles in many places as i say in classical greece they were still priestessing and all across central asia all the way to tibet and china and india they were uh, the the women still had those religious functions and i've called them uh shaman priestesses and I'm dealing with the Amazon queens, you know, as a warrior queen and a and a priestess. Right. One is the religious overseer. One is the <clears throat> the the war queen who would have, uh, before there was war, been addressing a more administrative kind of function for the daily life. I want to come back to that? I do want to ask you though on this two notes. One, you now said there are a link. There's a number of different places across the globe, women practicing the same sorts of religious matriarchal practices. Do you see that as just a commonality of humanity no. or that there is a single source that they can all sort of derive this historical? Well, that's a, that, it's a great question there because it's kind of both. You know, partly I think our religion, this great storied tradition with this Venus figure at the center, you know, and our long, long uh, millennia of telling this story. That's the human condition. We were matriarchal for so long. 
And But then even after patriarchy, that's what's really interesting. The women continue to function as the priestesses. They're, I think the first male priest was in the Mithras religion. Mm, yeah. Yes, right, yeah. Yeah, so where's that? In uh, kind of like Mesopotamia, but later? Yes. Uh, fifth century BCE, I think, is the first time a male priest shows up. And uh, the male priest, I put it in the Hierophant card in the mother piece, Tarot. I made him a, a short little guy standing on a soapbox with wearing a wearing a robe, you know, a woman's clothes, and wearing a gold breastplate with that was used for oracles, had gemstones in it. And, uh, and all the it's interesting. People, that was the Roman soldiers love the Mithridatic mysteries, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I that's interesting. So soldiers. it might even be later. It might be really closer yeah. to Christianity time. Yeah, it was a big. It was a big religion with Roman soldiers, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, and it was a it was a male only, right? The yeah, cult, the cult of Mithras was it was um, a bull culture. Yeah, slay the bull. Yeah, so I mean, before that, women were fulfilling those religious functions, and and after that, uh, in in village culture and. Uh, whatever you call a place like Pokrovka, I don't know how big of a site it was, but um, it was completely female governed from the look of it, from what Janine found in the evidence. And uh, and the women warriors were prolific. Mm-hmm. And the warriors and priestesses were the two, you know, it's the double goddess. It's the double well, governing body. I want to ask, I want to go a little bit more into that. We'll probably... We won't go further because I think we really should explore that in specific, the double goddess, how that functioned. Yeah. So maybe we'll take that up next time, specifically how the double goddess form of governance worked. Well, I don't think we know a lot about that, actually. Okay. We well, we'll have to. We'll, we'll rely on you to give us <laughs> some pointers. I'll start in that direction. My novel. <laughs> there you go. There you go. A historical novel about uh, how the the double goddess functioned, yeah. One last thing. If we were to take a journey, which we're going to, and to f- look for the start of the Amazons, where they would have, where their origin would have been, and where they would have ended up, you know, we think in some sense Themyscira as their Alamo, their last stand. Would it be around this Ukraine region where this clash of civilizations occur? that we get this first rupture that leads us to places like Crete? Or would you go straight to Crete and say, well, maybe maybe the genesis starts there? Well, again, good question, Sean. That, that makes my synapses spark. Uh, because when the, when the disturbance first happened in old Europe uh, around Varna, the refugees from that onslaught you know, went to the Kukuteni Tripolia sites. They, the archaeologists call them mega cities, uh, mega towns. They, 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 they suddenly got very large, the largest sites uh, in Europe in any time period. 
like, uh, I don't know, thousands of people were there. And yet, as they said in, in the most recent uh, archaeology article, there were no signs of centralized government, no signs of a centralized administrative function, no signs of a class stratification or anything like that. Um, and I and then I did find some information when I started to research that suggests that they were refugees from old Europe, and I believe that to be true. And they went and lived with other old European cultures, you know, the Tripolia above the Black Sea. And that lasted for about 500 years, and then they're eradicated, those megacities. Hmm. And the archaeologists always talk about it as if the even even though they disappear completely and the places are burned down, they can't imagine that anybody burned it down. You know <laughs> that anybody. It lit itself on fire. Yeah, they burned their own houses. No kidding. They think well, who wouldn't do that, right? Don't we all want to burn our own houses? Exactly. At the end of having lived there for, you know, 1,500 years or something. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's the problem. Why do you think they think this, Vicky? Why are they saying they burn their own houses? That it's, it's Occam's butter knife at that point. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, they've just got this whole thing. I suppose, you know, they've probably read, you know, a little snippet somewhere like uh, the – Navajo burn their Hogans when somebody dies. Well, the Hogan is one room, you know. Um, mm. and, and then they applied it, misapplied it, to the, uh, the elimination of these goddess cultures en masse. They think they burned all their houses down en masse, on purpose, as a ritual. Well, it's when they came to their senses and developed a God-centered culture for the male patriarchal gods, and they burned it all down. Said, "Enough of the goddess, burn it down. Let's go follow these guys." We're moving so, on. We're we're changing. Oh my gosh, it's just so ridiculous. And you know, it happens. Uh, it goes on through the whole Bronze Age. I mean, that's just the beginning of it in Europe, and then uh, then the Indo-Europeans go somewhere else, and uh, and they, and they've already done the thing of hybridizing our uh, species in that area, you know, so that we, who we are, who who my ancestors are, are a mix of that Indo-European DNA, male DNA, and the old European female DNA. I remember we talked about that issue. But what I was always curious about from the genetic standpoint, but I think there is a cultural clash you end up having there. You have this mixture literally in the body of of a citizenry of this patriarchal invader culture and this pre-existing sophisticated matriarchal culture i think we see that play out to this day in this back and forth this tug of war between like you were saying about the british and american historians and archaeologists seeing some information and being unwilling to say, okay, this is what's here, because there's just something deep and painful as part of that. Let's definitely come back to um, different matriarchal forms of governance, as we've seen and experienced in our, our next podcast with this. In the meantime, I want to thank Vicki Noble and Don Sam Alden for, as always, a really wonderful, scintillating conversation about 
the Amazons and matriarchy. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. And we shall return soon. Take care. Take care.